Welcome to the Faily Tale Show. I'm your host and curator of fails, Akash Manthar. In this show, we have conversations with our very accomplished guests about their tales of fails. Let's jump right in and start learning from the collective failures of humanity, because it's story time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Faily Tale Show. Joining us today to share their tale of fail is Chris Tradle. I've known Chris since I was at uh, EA, and she was the best people experiences partner that I've ever had in my career. Uh, she was my companion for recreational venting or complaining. It was usually one way. It was me complaining to her. Uh, she has, as I said, she has worked at EA. She has also worked at other companies such as Gap and Siebel Systems. So welcome to the show, Chris. I'm so glad to have you here. Oh, it's so wonderful to be here, Akash, and thank you for having me. Um, with that kind of introduction, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm never leaving. It's going to be great. Awesome. So we'll just make it into Fairly Tale Show with Akash and Krish going forward. That's it. I mean, it'll be awesome. We'll have a whole banter. It'll be great. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so this show is all about failures uh, and sharing the tales of fails. So what fails do you have for us today? <laughs> Where do I start? Um, I think I'm going to, I will go with the one that sticks with me the most because I kind of hurt the most. It was more of a personal kind of fail. So this is really interesting. I was working at a company called Siebel Systems and I don't know if anybody out there remembers Siebel. It was the fastest growing software company of its time. Um, and it was, I had been doing, working in the tech industry for quite some time doing, uh, basically HR organizational design development surveys, things like that. And I was going through a mini midlife crisis and decided I wanted to just get out of tech and go into something different. <clears throat> and uh, I was really interested in um, creativity and fashion and things like that. So I went so far as to even go, oh, maybe I'll go back to school and, and, and totally pivot my career. But the rational, practical side of me said, actually, maybe why don't you go to a company that does that? Learn it from the inside, see if there's something you want to do. So I actually left Siebel, which was one of the most um, conservative companies I've ever worked for. Uh, incredibly conservative, you know, formal work attire all the time. Very, very, very IBM in the 80s. And I went to Gap, which is a creative um, fashion company. About a 180 degree difference than we could possibly imagine. So I was very excited to join this company. I thought, oh my gosh, this is great. And they had this value that they, um, first day, you be you. That was the whole thing. You be you. And I thought, oh, this is going to be wonderful. I was kind of stifled in this really um, more conservative environment. I'm going to let my Christmas shine everywhere. And um, I come to find out. So I was, you know, I was being me all over the place, <laughs> you know, with, um, you know, just being very, uh, you know, here's my opinion and here's what we think we should do and let's go this way and let's go that way. And I realized, well, I didn't realize, I was informed after a period of time being there that um, a couple of partners did not like working with me. That, oh. I, oh yes, I came across too strong and that um, there was starting to be chatter behind my back of, I don't think she's a right fit here. I don't think she can work here. And it was it was shocking to me because I had like 
completely embraced and leaned into this UBU concept. And I forgot one of the, the, most important things when you join a company or you begin a relationship or any kind of business relationship is listening more and really seeking to understand, assessing and understanding what the culture really is, and then being able to figure out, all right, how do I best um, thrive and bring my full self here? Uh, and I lost that. And I learned that lesson the hard way at Gap because I ended up having to sort of back up and do a lot of damage control with relationships that I had unknowingly sort of squished and stepped on. The other le learning I had was, um, you know, there are multiple cultures. There are stated cultures, there are hidden cultures, and then there's actual cultures. And a company may say, hey, this is our culture, this is who we are. And what is important is for you to really say, I hear what you're saying, and I get it, but let me listen and actually see what what the real culture or the subculture is. Um, and that is a learning I took with me to my next two, three companies of, all right. And it, it really helped me because I was able to still bring myself to work and bring what is my, I think my strengths, but not be so overpowering of, not being sensitive to the people I work with and not being sensitive to the culture in which I'm inserting myself. So it was super helpful when I left there and became a consultant because that skill set really helped me be not so much a chameleon, but more of a um, more of an adapter and adopter. Right. Interesting. So you mentioned that there was a difference between the written culture and mm -hmm. the actual culture. Do you think somewhere along the path, the two had diverged? Initially, they were the same, or they expected it to be the same, or do you think it was never the same and there were always two cultures? Uh, that's a great question. <clears throat> I think that they diverged. Um, I think when you have, a, when the company begins, you have a core culture, and those tenants um, are really important. But as the company starts to get bigger and bigger, uh, there tends to be a different sorts of interpretations of those cultures and kind of that's how it gets adopted so the ubu culture uh, i learned was a little bit more like ubu as long as you're like me culture and um i see so while there was an embracing of individuality and creativity it was in more of a um more defined parameters than i would have expected what are the, some of the learnings that you took forward that you applied in your roles after um, <laughs> to try to keep the cultures in sync? And when you say UBU, you actually meant it? Because we had a pretty much UBU thing at EA and we actually lived by it. Mm -hmm. You just show up and bring your best self to work. And no matter who you were, what you did, like it was generally very well accepted. So how did that happen? Um, that's That's true. So... The learning I took from it, as I said before, was really about um, assessing and observing. So it's really important to be your authentic self. I think for you to be successful in business, in life, in anything, you need to be authentic and true to who you are. 
but there are different um, levels of fidelity of your authenticity that you could bring depending on the situation and the that you're in, right? When you're hanging out with your friends, your authenticity might be up to 10 because you're just letting it all hang out. But in the office, you might temper that down a little bit different. You should never change who you are. You should never not bring who you are in your personality. But, you know, you might you might not go all in on certain things. So at EA, um, EA was a wonderful culture uh, that I worked in. And the teams that I worked for were really had leaders who encouraged people to bring them best, their best selves to work. But at the same time, I also saw other organizations that weren't quite that way, that there was more of a stated bring yourself, but there tended to be some more back channel conversations than you had in some of the other organizations. So I think within the overall umbrella of a corporate culture, there are different team sub subcultures, and that is driven directly by leaders and what they support. Is this something you think executives should stay on top of to not end up with culture silos? And if so, how can they do that? Uh, yeah. Well, part of it is um, <laughs> there was an expression that uh, I guess it was an Australian uh, general had said, the standard that you walk past is the standard that you allow. So I think it is really important for leaders to make sure that they're checking in of is our how is our culture actually manifesting itself? Is it being is it being abused? Is it being twisted? You have um, you know all com most companies have here are our core values. Here's our you know all of this other stuff. But what does that actually mean? And how is it being used? And what's being allowed? Um, when you have situations where we say, oh, we're a one team culture or we're a people first culture, but then you hear about bad behavior being looked the other way because, well, they're just, you know, they're really critical for this particular game or they're really critical for this particular shipping and product. What message that sends to employees is that this isn't really real. These culture and values aren't real. It's just paid, paid, uh, words on a page that because we have to do it. So I think leaders need to really make some of those hard calls and stand behind it and do it visually. I see. So it's important until it's not because something else is more important now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do, do you have any examples of where you being you, like what the situation was, what some of the behaviors were, and like what the impact was and how we had to walk back from it later? I'm very, very curious because I know you and you're a pretty lively person. So I find it hard to believe that with you being you, you could run into issues. Oh, you say the nicest things. But it's true. It's true. So um, I embraced a kind of dominance. So there was a period of, of time where there was some feedback and people were general like, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be general of like we and they and own it, you know, have a point of view and say, you know, here's what, here's what I think. And um, when I, when I got to Gap, I really embraced that and leaned into it and said, here's what I think. I think we should do it this way. I think we should do it that way. And the feeling and the perception on that was, even though I was trying to not be um, too soft 
because what you know what I, the feedback I've gotten before is it's too passive voice. We should do this, or here's here's an option or things we should that people should think about. It's like have a a point of view that came across as um, non collaborative because it was hey I want I think we should do this and here's how we should do it. Um, so that was the really the feedback that came back. It was it was even though I was trying to to share a point of view. Um, it was coming across, as I said, as non-collaborative and sort of domineering. Oh, Chris just comes in and says, here's what, here's what she thinks that we should do. And well, I don't think we should do it that way. So just by coming forcefully like that, it started to stop the conversation and the dialogue of collaboration, what other people think. So the way I walked it back and the way I learned about it was asking more questions. And that really, truly helped me, especially moving into consulting and then finally HR business partner roles of rather than coming in with an a priori assessment or I like, okay, I know I've seen this before. I know what to do. You know, this is an easy solve. Instead, asking the questions and bringing people more along for the journey and helping more guide and if you have to come in or they ask and say, well, what would you do? And say, here's what I would do. Or say, based upon some of my experience, here's what I've seen work before, as opposed to, I think this is what we need to do. I see. I see. So yeah, that was going to be my next question. You mentioned that you you became a better listener and mm-hmm. then you started adapting. So it was about asking questions and sitting back and trying to understand and bring people along on the journey then. Exactly. Exactly right. I had a I had a really interesting one where I went into a consulting company, and um, I was in kind of tasked with opening up an office on the West Coast. And there was this one employee who um, it was a difficult one to navigate because she had um, she had moved to the West Coast for this company, and her assumption was that she was going to take that job, but she wasn't quite ready for it yet. She was still too junior. So when I was hired, unbeknownst to me, that there was there was some there was some subtext going on there, and there was some history and baggage I didn't know about. And um, you know, I I tried to engage her as much as possible, but as a, the leader on the site, part of my role and responsibility is also to craft a vision and say, hey, I was hired to say we're building this office and we're creating a new. Um, kind of a new way of working because we're working more with Silicon Valley and more of tech companies, which is different from say financial companies or companies on the East coast that this company tended to have it more as their customers. So there was some, there was some dynamics going on there because she did not appreciate um, the vision that I was trying to put forward that I was sort of hired to do. And that was a tough one too. How did you figure that out, that that was actually the case? I figured it out because she was went, um, she went to uh, my boss. So she had a relationship with my boss um, as, you know, they were, they were good friends. They worked side by side. She had moved out. So um, she started trying to manage around me and going directly to my boss on, on situations. And it wasn't a fun work environment to actually be in. Because it was, you know, when you have somebody who is, um, you know, not on board, it's hard to try and get them on board when you have a lot of some of these other dynamics that are going on under the surface. 
Another uh, related question, this may be not directly from your failures, but since you're in the human resources, business partner, people partner work, you've probably come across a lot of these. Uh, One of the issues that I have seen sometimes in my career, and I think I had this early on in my career too, there's clearly a gap between the level that someone's performing at and what they think they're performing at. Mm-hmm. Um, and the level of readiness that they think that they have for the next level. And your discussion about this person thinking that they could go ahead and set up the whole thing on their own mm-hmm. uh, kind of reminded me of that. And I was like, yeah, I, I used to be one of those guys where I thought <laughs> I was far more capable than yeah. what I was ready at that point. Later on in my career, I maybe built those skills needed. Um, how do you deal with such situations um, as a people practices partner? How do you shed the light on people and then maybe prepare the managers to deal with something like this? That's a tricky one because it also deals a lot with ego and, you know, kind of how people feel, how that, how, how good they are. Um, Really, I find the best way to deal with that is sort of with objective data uh, and mentoring and coaching. So some of the tools in my toolkit that I'll use is if you have, say, a job family architecture, you have a pretty clear definition of the roles. It's pretty a little bit more easy to say, hey, you know, here's what's required. Here's where you are. Let's talk about where there's opportunities and when there's gaps. Um, sometimes you have just people are blind. You know, you have this. There's what you know. There's what you don't know. Um, so getting feedback, 360 feedback can be sometimes helpful for getting people to see objectively. But occasionally you have people who just are so um, convinced of their capabilities and their point of views. Um, Sometimes there's nothing you can do about that. You know, they Mm -hmm. need to, they need to leave and kind of fail and realize, oh, wow, this is actually not, I'm not what I thought I was. And we don't want employees to do that. You know, we want to coach them. We want to listen listen to them. We want to help them. But sometimes they just have to go out and kind of learn it the hard way. Yeah. I mean, that's always been a tough one for me because Mm -hmm. I want to do the right thing for people. I want to give them opportunities to grow into it. But when comparisons start coming in, but what about that other person? They don't seem to have everything which is needed on this JFM. This seems yeah. like a checklist. Why isn't it applied to everybody where the conversations become a lot harder? Yes. Um, I usually encourage people to look at their own situation, see where they are, as you're saying, like objectively measure what skill sets you need to get to the next level. Um, and yeah, it was one of those things I realized at some point in my career, I was like, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. I don't <laughs> want to be a rat. Right? I love that. I'm going to use that. Yeah, you should totally do it. And I was like, so what can I do? I want to keep increasing my skills. Mm-hmm. And I want to get the right kind of experiences, which sets me up for what I want to do. And then do that in a manner which helps the company move forward and which helps me move forward. And the funny thing was the moment I stopped giving weightage to the titles and things, things just started getting better for me because mm-hmm. no longer important to me as to what the title was and what things were. Um, but early on in my career, I was very focused on the titles and the level and the promo. And so 
yeah, I mean, I failed along the way somewhere over there because it, it is very frustrating. Uh, you sometimes get in denial too um, about, oh no, I, I'm definitely better than this. Yeah, and it's really, really hard because it's just natural human nature to compare to others, right? Mm-hmm. How come we both started this time, this time, but this person's getting promoted before me or this person's getting promoted before me? This isn't fair. And to your point, it's... Um, you need to focus on yourself. You only really should be in competition with yourself. And right. not, you don't know the situations of those other people. You don't know mm-hmm. what their background is. You don't know what's going on. You don't know any of that. All you see is the outcome of they got promoted. And if you're an employee and you're feeling like that, you should have a conversation with your manager and, and be very candid around what you want your next level to be. Here's one of the things that I found uh, interesting in working as an HR business partner that I didn't even know. So as I was sitting in with meetings with executive leadership talking about talent reviews, you remember some of those meetings. Uh, So doing the talent reviews, as the more senior you get up to the the top, they don't have a lot of visibility into employees further down the rank. What they know and the names they remember are the ones who had spoken up who were very clear around, I'm, I'm interested in becoming this level or that level. So when the conversations happen, it actually tends to not be this really in-depth, holistic view of let's talk about all the employees. It becomes, well, I know this person and I know that person. So as employees, it really is important to advocate for yourself and be clear around what you want and what your career path is. Don't sit back and just expect, hey, if I keep my head down and if I work really, really hard, it's going to get recognized, especially in um, a virtual work environment that we work in now. You know, you're not going to have that potentially that level of visibility. So <clears throat> it's hard for a lot of people to do this, but to speak up, to kind of um, market your wins in an authentic way. And to be really clear with your manager of like, hey, this is my five-year plan. Here's my three-year plan. I really do want to get to this level by this time. I know it's not an absolute, but know that. And then the manager has that in their mind. And when they look for opportunities or things like that, it's more likely to happen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you have to definitely talk talk about yourself, uh, but in a more realistic manner. Uh, You don't want to be overselling yourself also. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Or holding a gun to your manager essentially to be like, oh, promote me or I'm gone. Like doesn't mm-hmm. generally work. That never works out well. <laughs> no. Nope. I'll no. tell you it just poisons from- the well. Yeah. And I'll tell you a secret from the HR side. When you have employees who do that, oftentimes the coaching and the conversation is, look, if you do it now, it's gonna come back. This person is more interested in just getting a title than necessarily the work that they're doing. And they'll be more likely to jump for a bigger title somewhere else. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is why, especially when you're doing dive and saves, it's also very important to understand the reason behind it, because certain kinds of dive and save can lead to just bigger problems later. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that was great. Uh, Do you have any other failures for us today? Oh, my gosh. How much time do we have? Oh, days. Failures. (laughs) No, I need to keep a little small bit of my ego intact because I'm already feeling like a (laughs) failure right now. (laughs) But I think the hardest part for everybody, and this is something everybody knows, when you grow, you grow much 
faster with a failure than with a win. But most humans are just, and animals and everybody, are pre-wired to avoid things that are painful or uncomfortable. So a lot of times you end up not making some of those chances, taking some of those chances because of the, the fear of failure. But like everybody says, and it's sort of an old trope, but when you look back at where you had the biggest growth in your life and your careers, it comes out of your failures. So kind of embrace the discomfort, try and minimize the damage. Don't go in thinking I'm going to fail spectacularly, <laughs> but, you know, try and limit the blast radius. Um, but, you know, failure is not the end of the world. It hurts and it sucks, but, you know, once you get past it, it's done and, and you're fine. And provided you don't do something so big so public that it follows you don't post on instagram does what i'm saying um you know you're gonna be fine and you're gonna grow much much faster yeah absolutely there's a lot of people who fear failures and they just want to be correct Mm -hmm. like if you're just being correct you're being very very cautious you're not taking the risks you're not learning fast enough so very well said i'm gonna use that and i'm gonna go create some uh, material out of these things now well, that's okay. I'm going to use that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the rat race, you're still a rat. Yeah. So let's not be a rat. Don't awesome. A rat. Any other final words of wisdom for our listeners? Mm, no, you're awesome. And I love working with you. And I can't wait to work with you again sometime in the future. Thank you so much. Me too. Have a great day, Chris. Thank, Thank you for being on the show. Always. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Faily Tale Show. Until next time, keep learning.